And tonight we're going to be starting a new series uh, just for a couple weeks. You know, when we were going through um, Jude, contending for the faith, there's a lot of things that came up and um, a lot of some folks asked some questions about some things, and so I thought I'd kind of drill down on, on some of the basics of our faith, and uh, so we, this little series is called What We Believe, and it's basically taking us back to the fundamentals, the foundation of our faith, and uh, really what the Bible says. Tonight we're going to be looking at what we believe about the Bible. Pretty basic. So you can turn in your, your Bibles to Psalm 19. Psalm 19. Now, if I ask the question tonight, is the, the Bible the Word of God, true or false? Most of you would probably say, I'd probably say 100% of you probably say true. Um, and so we want to figure out what we mean by that <laughs> when we say something like that. Uh, not only are we saying that we believe the Bible is the Word of God, but we also should understand that it is uh, singularly the Word of God. There's no other thing that would hold a candle to it. And so as you open up your Bibles to Psalm 19, tonight we're going to be looking at what we believe about the Bible. And um, it's right about in the middle of your Bible. But it's... It, it's this series is put together just to give us some, some basics, and so hopefully we can uh, get through this in several weeks, but, um, but we're going to be looking at different, different things, the Trinity, uh, um, different, the gospel, going over the gospel, salvation, things like that, and so it should prove to be pretty helpful. Um, I think that it's important that we understand that we hold in our hands the Word of God, Right? The Bible. We, we call it the Bible, but sometimes we don't treat it like the Bible. And we really want to drill down on that tonight. And, and I want to kind of take us back to uh, the very basics of what we understand the Word of God to be. How, how God primarily um, speaks to us today. He has spoken through His Word. You know, you're not going to get a voice in your ear um, that is divine revelation from God today. We believe the canon's closed. Uh, he said so much, don't add, take away, those kind of things. And so it's important that we, we understand what he's talking about because in the, in the Psalm 19, it talks about the law of the Lord. And it's through this book, through the word of God, that God tells you basically who you are. Uh, he tells you about his character, he tells you about his will, um, he tells you, uh, he convicts you of certain things, sins, or, or even convictions that you may hold. It's how he instructs us, it's how he really shows us what he wants us to understand. He instructs us in our faith from the word of God, he disciples us in the word of God, and it's through that, that, that same book, the Bible, that we get God's comfort, right, in times of pain. Um, it's through this book that he inspires us, he motivates us uh, for the fight that we're in every day here in this world. It's through the book that he even prepares us for death, gets us ready. And it's, it's through this book that he readies us for that eternal state that we will all one be in one day. And there's much more that's in the Word of God. But it's all in this, this book, the Bible, which is made up of what? 66 books, right? And we put it together. It's called the Bible, one book. But it's exciting because when we teach here in our church, inevitably someone will say, open up your Bibles too. <laughs> and it's important. That's an important thing to do. You, you, unfortunately, there's a lot of churches today, they don't even open up a Bible, <laughs> Um, at all. Either everything's on the screen or whatever. And so it's important that we become familiar with the Word of God. Uh, we have a God in heaven who has spoken, but He's not silent. He speaks to us through His Word 
whenever we take the time to read it. Uh, and so here in Psalm 19, it's an interesting psalm. It's written by King David. And he, it's all about God speaking really to his people. And so in the first six verses of Psalm 19, we, we see that God generally speaks. He speaks very generally. He speaks to everybody. He talks about uh, creation, and it's this, this general revelation of God. And so follow along in your Bibles. I just want to read the first six verses for us. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. The night and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has sent a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. So it speaks of creation. It speaks of God's general revelation to man. He speaks to us generally. He, this is spoken to everybody. Anybody who goes outside and looks at a tree or looks at the sky or looks at the mountains, you can see the revelation of God. Um, if you want to see God, if you want to know that there is a God, basically just go out and look up. If you do it at night, it's even more impactful, right? You see all the stars, and you're thinking, wow, that's incredible. It's incredible. And so when you look at creation, you will hear, you will, you will really see the beauty, uh, the majesty, the, the, the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our Lord in creation. By the way, it's interesting. In, in Greek, the word for man is anthropos. And anthropos literally means to look up, <laughs> to look up. Man was created to look up and see the splendor and the majesty of God. Now, Romans 1 tells us that's why there's no excuse for not knowing God, right? Paul says there's no excuse. Just look around. Um, but God also knows that that general kind of revelation, looking at the stars and looking at the beautiful mountains and the streams and the trees and all that, um, generally God is speaking through creation, but he knew it wouldn't be sufficient. He knew, you know, you can go look at a tree and you're not going to get saved. And so he didn't leave us there with just general revelation. Um, he has given us not only general revelation, but he has given us what? Specific revelation specific revelation. And that's what really David is talking about here. He talks about general revelation in verses 1 to 6, talking about the creation. But then in verses 7 to 9, he talks and he describes really what God is giving us in special, specific revelation. He's talking about the written word of God, and he describes it for us. And so look at verse 7 and we'll read down through verse 9, and this is where we're going to spend our time tonight, and see if you see a pattern here. It says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true, and righteous all together. In just those three phrases, three verses, uh, David summarizes, really, in great detail, what the written, specific revelation that we have in our hands, the Bible, he, he describes what it's all about. Do you see the, the synonyms there for the Word of God? Law, testimony, precepts, commandment, fear, rules, uh, all those are uh, synonyms which describe, really, the Word of God. And they all have little nuances to them, little meanings, but generally they're speaking of Scripture. They're synonyms for the Bible. Now, what I love about this is he attaches each one of those synonyms to who? Do you see the pattern? 
What do you see over and over and over again? Of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, of the Lord, right? You see it over and over and over again. What's he saying? He says, the source of these is the Lord. It's the Lord who, uh, the, the law of what? The Lord. The statutes of what? The Lord. The testimony of the Lord. The fear of the Lord and so forth. And so here are these six synonyms, and you can call Scripture a lot of things in a lot of different ways. You can, you can refer to it a lot of different ways, but what David really wants us to understand, and what God wants us to understand, is there's only one source. There's only one source. There's not more than one source. That's why it's troubling sometimes when people say, yeah, you know, I was doing this thing, and it's like, the Lord just spoke to my heart, and he said this. It's like, oh, wait a minute. What do you mean? Did, did he speak to your heart through a verse you memorized or something? Because you're saying you heard the audible voice of God. I'd have to question that, right? But sometimes we use phrases, and it can be confusing for people. We have to understand that the source of all truth, the source of God's word to us today is where? It's right here in this book. That's it. That's all we got. And what the amazing thing is about this book, the Bible, that we put together, 66 books, it has uh, 40 authors written over several centuries on different continents, three to be specific, most of these writers didn't know each other. New Testament, some of them did, but for the most part. And yet, even though they were writing all different you know, stories, things like that, you can go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, and what is it? It's one cohesive, consistent message. I mean, how could all those writers over all that time in different places who didn't know each other, how could they possibly write a story that is so woven together, intertwined, and it makes sense all the way from Genesis to Revelation? Because while there are 40 writers, there is but one what? Author. Right? It's the Lord. One source. And that word Lord is the covenant name Yahweh. It's the covenantal name for, for, for Lord. For Lord. Um, this is Yahweh. He's given us his word. He's given us this commandment. He's given us these precepts. It's of the Lord. And so while you can call Scripture a number of things and have different names and different nuances and different titles, it only has one source. It comes from where? It comes from the heart of God. From the mind of God. And this book is about Yahweh. It comes from Yahweh. It's of the Lord. It's about the Lord. And oftentimes, we, when we approach the Bible, uh, when we pull a verse out to read or whatever, a lot of times we're approaching it with the mentality of, I'm trying to figure out who I am. Right? How, how can this help me? How, and, and what does it have to say for me in my situation? That's how we a lot of times approach the Word of God. And I would have to say that's the wrong approach, frankly. It's very wrong. Now, God will help you with that. He, the Word does apply to our lives, and he'll, he'll help you with that. But when you come to study the Word of God, when you come to even to read the Word of God, we should be saying, who is God? Not who am I. Who is God? What is God saying about God? Um, what does God want me to know about God? What does uh, the approach to God look like? See, that's, that's the right approach to the Word of God. And when you get that right, everything else just falls into place. And so we see these different synonyms for the Word of God, but he says there's only one source. Now, he goes through six benefits here, and that's where we're going to spend the, the, the bulk of our time. You have the outline there. Hopefully we'll get through this. And um, this isn't my opinion it's nobody's opinion. This is what the Bible is saying to us. And so this is the word of God. And so let's just look down through this and see if David helps us understand what these benefits are and what it means, these words of the Bible that come from Yahweh to us. And so the first point there, we believe the Bible is God's word and is fully sufficient to transform human souls. It's fully sufficient to transform human souls. Look at verse 7. It says, The law of the Lord is what? 
perfect than converting the soul. Converting the soul. Um, we believe that the Bible is completely um, sufficient, fully sufficient, to transform human souls. And that word law there literally is Torah. It refers to, it means instruction, okay? The instruction of the Lord, the instruction of the law, the instruction of God's word, the instruction of the Bible. And it says it's perfect. It's perfect. Now, the word perfect is not how we think of perfect. It doesn't mean perfect as opposed to imperfect. He's not really saying that. It is, but he's not saying that. He's not talking here about um, flawlessness, like a diamond is perfect. He's not saying this is perfect as opposed to something that's imperfect. He's saying that the word perfect, it, it literally means perfect as compared to incomplete. Incomplete. So really what he's saying is the Bible is complete. It is sufficient. It is comprehensive. The, the term literally means multi-sided. In other words, it doesn't matter how you come at the Bible, the Word of God, it's got something for you. Uh, meaning that it doesn't matter what side of Scripture that you're looking at, there's nothing missing from it. It's completely sufficient. And when you come to know what God wants you to know about God, when you come to know what God wants you to know about yourself or about salvation or about the earth or about eternity or heaven, you have to know that, you know what, in the word of God there's nothing that you need to know that is missing. It's all right here in this book. Everything is complete. It's sufficient. So everything you need to know and what God would say is this is important to know, you have everything right here between the covers of your Bible. Now, the problem with us is we want to go beyond the Bible, right? This, this isn't sufficient to us. So what do we do? You know, we, want, we, want to, we want to go beyond the Bible. We, we want to find something else. And so there's, there's things that the Bible tells us and we have a mansion over the hilltop. Well, what's it going to look like? We don't know. Okay, we, we don't know. And, and some people want to make up things, go beyond what Scripture says, and just kind of be fanciful with their imagination. Um, I mean, if he wanted you to know what your mansion will look like or your room or however you want to describe it in eternity, he would have told us. He would have described it. But he doesn't. And so we have to be okay with that. Um, he basically tells us, you know what, you'll figure it out when you get there. You'll see it when you get there. Uh, we don't get the plans right now. But there's nothing missing. Because everything he wants us to know is there. It's comprehensive, and everything that you need to know, everything you need that God wants you to know about him, about you, about the earth, about everything, eternity, heaven, Hell, Jesus, it's your past, your present, your future, everything. There's nothing missing. It's complete. It's complete. And you say, well, you know, it always doesn't uh, speak sometimes to the issue that I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with. It might be that it's not that the Bible's not speaking about the issue that you're concerned with, but maybe we don't know really what the Bible says about some things because we haven't spent time <laughs> studying the Word of God and so it leaves a lot of open ends. Now, when he says it's perfect, it's, it's not only meaning that it's not lacking anything, but it also means that it possesses everything. It, it's complete in its entirety. The Bible is not lacking anything but it's possessing everything that we need to know. What? Converting the soul, he says. Now, if I ask you, what, what do you think that converting the soul means? A lot of us, I did, you'd probably go back to, well, you know, it's about that conversion experience that we had, converting the soul, right? I mean, that kind of makes sense. 
And the Word of God does play a part in that. Uh, we think of the initial placing our faith, our trust in Christ, believing the gospel, and Jesus is God, that he died, that he, he rose, he buried, he was rose, and, you know, and we're saved because we put our faith and our trust in him and we surrender our lives to him. That's certainly part of, of what he means here. The Bible does play a huge part in that, if not a primary part, really, in salvation of a person's soul. 1 Peter 1.23 says, Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, listen to this, but of imperishable through the living and what? Abiding word of God. Right there you got it. He's speaking of the Bible there. You were saved through the living and enduring word of God. Uh, James tells us in James 1.21, Receive with meekness the implanted word, then it says this, James says, which is able to save your souls. Which is able to save your souls. So the Bible plays a primary part in converting and in, in changing and saving the souls of people. I don't think anybody would argue that. What's interesting is no other book can boast that. Think about it. I've never heard anyone tell me, oh man, I just read John Grisham's bestseller and I'm just I'm gloriously saved. I've never heard somebody say that. I've never heard a student say, yeah, I was studying geometry and I was going through the textbook and wow, man, it just jumped off the page to me and, and now I'm born again. <laughs> That's never happened. That's never happened. There's no other book like the Word of God. There's no other books that even compare to it. Now, there are books that are helpful, are there not? We all have books. We all read books. They're instrumental but what do they do? They point us, hopefully, back to the Word of God. They give an explanation about the Word of God or something like that. Um, but there's, there's no other book that can boast that it is living, that it's enduring, and that it is the implanted Word which is able to save people's souls. That's a pretty hefty claim. Um, and the Bible is the only one that can live up to that. There was a missionary... Uh, Dr. Gaylord was his name, and he was a missionary to Zimbabwe. And he was over there, and he was on a project. They were giving out all these scriptures, all these Bibles. And there was a crowd of people there. And the story, this is a true story, one of the men was kind of antagonistic toward the whole thing and refused to take the Bible. And Dr. Gaylord kind of persisted a little bit, and the guy got kind of frustrated. And he said, you know, if you give me that Bible, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to rip it out page by page, roll it up, and smoke it. And Dr. Gaylord thought for a moment, and it was like the Lord just popped this thing into his head. And he goes, you know what? That's perfectly fine. But would you do this for me? When you rip the page out, before you roll it up and smoke it, would you at least read it? Read both sides of the page, and then you can do whatever you want with it. Well, the story says years later, Dr. Gaylord was at a Bible conference, and there was that man, the same man, handing out Bibles. And Dr. Gaylord went over to him, and he said, what in the world? Are you the same guy? Yeah, I'm the guy that smoked my way through the Bible. <laughs> and he said, I smoked my way through Matthew. I smoked my way through Mark. And Luke, and I got to John, and I finally landed on John 3.16, and I couldn't smoke anymore. <laughs> it's amazing how God works. But that, 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 that's a true story. It's the power of the Word of God. It's not a bunch of dead letters on white paper. right? These are, these are living words. It's living, it's enduring, it's the implanted Word of God that got a hold of that man's life, who was burning the Bible as he smoked it, basically, but he finally got to the point where he realized he's a sinner in need of a Savior. And so that's what we believe. We believe it's, it's sufficient. It's fully sufficient. It's solely sufficient as far as, as books go. Um, it, it saves people, leads them to the living Lord. Now this word converting is more, though, than just initial salvation. It has other implications in its meaning. Uh, we, we don't just read it to be saved and then we, we put it on the bookshelf. 
Well, maybe some of us do, but we shouldn't do that. God doesn't want us to do that, right? Because it's living, it's active. And so that word, the phrase, converting the soul, it also can mean this, to revive, to refresh, to restore. Revive, refresh, restore. I mean, a lot of times, the longer we're a believer in our Christian walk, I think we could honestly say we definitely need to be revived, refreshed, and restored. And we live in a very, very dark, depraved part of the country and the world. And what is it that's going to revive us? What is it that's going to refresh us? What is it that's going to restore us as Christians as we live in this kind of sick world? It's the Word of God. It's the Word of God. But when we put it on the shelf and it gathers dust, and then we sit around wondering, well, I wonder why I'm not as excited about my Christian life as I used to be when I first came to Jesus. I mean, when I first came to Jesus, I was reading the Bible and going to church. Why am I not energetic about the things of the Lord? Why, why don't I want to be used of the Lord? Why am I not passionate about worship or service or evangelism or whatever? Why is it that I feel more depressed and I, I feel more down and woe is me kind of cloud over my head? Can't wait till this thing's over, you know, kind of a mentality. I'm going to tell you, when you get away from the Bible, converting our soul, not initial salvation, we're not talking about that, but ongoing salvation, you need to understand you haven't just been saved. You are what? being saved each and every day. It's an ongoing process in our lives. We call it sanctification. And the Word of God revives us in that process. It restores us. It refreshes us. And you say, well, what, do I, what am I supposed to do? Read the Bible every day? Well, do you want to be revived? Do you want to be refreshed? Do you want to be restored? Yes. Yes. You can't find that kind of restoration, that kind of refreshment, that kind of, of reviving anywhere else. Nowhere else. Except in the Word of God. Converting the soul. And I think it's interesting, the Bible always aims, the Lord always aims at people's souls. And this is important, because a lot of people... They forget about the soul, and all they look at is somebody's behavior. They're, clear, they're clearly trying to change people's behavior. And they could probably care less about their soul. A lot of times, you're, you're not going to hear me preaching on, you know, you shouldn't smoke, or you shouldn't chew tobacco, or you should stop playing cards, or dancing, or, you know, whatever your little pet thing is. I'm not going to preach on those things because, unless it's in the Word of God. It clearly forbids it. Then fine, we'll, we'll cover it. But there are some people that that's all they talk about. They're constantly browbeating people, trying to change their behavior, trying to change their behavior, but they're not aiming at the person's soul. See, God says, you know what? If I aim at the person's soul, the behavior will change. Well, what is the soul? The soul is the inner person. The, the soul is, is your mind, your heart, your will, your attitude, your, your motives, your personality. It's the, really the totality of who you are. That's your soul. And if it's in the, in the Hebrew, and, and it really means the totality of who you are. That's more than your body. You know your body's temporary? I mean, but what do we do? Most of our lives, what are we attending to? Our bodies. That's, what we're, that's where we're spending most of our time. I mean, you wonder if God's up there going, how stupid is that? <laughs> you know, it's this, this silly little tent I gave you for, you know, it's like a, a vapor and it's gone. And you're spending all your time concerned about well, how it looks and how to keep it. And all. It's going to be gone. It's temporary. Now, it doesn't mean we should be abusive to our bodies. I'm not saying that. We should honor the temple that God has given us. But I think sometimes he, he looks down and he says, why are you spending so much time focused on something that's so temporary? It's like a blade of grass. 
comes up today, it's gone tomorrow. It's like the, the fog that comes over the hills in the morning and by noon is all burned off. It's gone. And so the Bible says, you know what? The inner you, your, your soul, is much more important. Jesus affirmed that. Does your soul need to be converted initially? Yes. Do you need to be saved? Yes. Does it, do you need to be invigorated? Does it need to be energized? Do you need to be transformed? Whatever your soul needs, that's what the Bible goes for. It, it, it happens from the inside. And so many times we try to change the outside of somebody before the inside's changed. <laughs> that's what Jesus basically said in 4.4. In, in he, he, he wrote there, he said, man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. How many of you ate something today? Most of us ate something. Unless you're fasting or something, but most of us ate something. And you'll probably eat something else tomorrow. Or later tonight. Depending on what your eating habits are, right? I would probably say most of us eat something some physical food nearly every day. Very seldom do you go without any food at all. Maybe eat twice if you really, really need it. Why? Because we've got to feed this body. We've got to put fuel into this body. I just wish we would realize that maybe our stomachs are full, but our spiritual tanks are empty because we're not giving it the same priority. We're not giving, spending the same time filling our, our spiritual stomach, our spiritual tank. And a lot of us don't even realize our spiritual tanks are empty. I mean, I wish you could look into the, the mirror like we do in the mornings when we get up, we take a shower, we look in the mirror before we go out the door and make sure everything's in its place, hopefully. I wish we could have a spiritual mirror. <laughs> you look, you know, yeah, you're a little shabby this morning. You need to spend a little more time in the Word this morning, Steve. And see how our souls are doing, not just our physical bodies. I wonder how Amansa emaciated our souls are really because we're simply not feeding them we're not feeding on the word of god i mean jesus says we need it we need it like food you want to know who god is you want to know what god is up to you want to know what his plan is for you you want to know what he wants you to be what he wants you to do where he wants you to go you have to get in the Word. You have to spend time with Him in the Word because that's how God speaks to our soul. The Bible isn't just about, you know, oh, you got to straighten up, you got to be a better person. I mean, there are morals there, clearly, standards. There's a certain morality here. But God knows that you can have all the morality in the world, but if He doesn't have your soul, what do you have? Nothing. He has nothing. That's why He wants you to know Him personally. That's why He... He explains in his word your need for a savior. You can't just clean your act up. Because God knows if he gets your soul, all the behaviors will fall right in line. That's how it works. That's why it's important to preach the word of God. This is how we grow spiritually. This is what we feed on. This is why it's important to feed the flock when we're together. Now, it's not somebody's sermon that feeds you. It's the Word of God. Okay, It's the message that God has from you from the Word. That's what we need. We need a message from the Word of God. I think a lot of times we're just looking, you know, we'll come in Sunday morning, we're just looking for a good summer, uh, a sermon to pop us in the arm and you know, make, maybe we'll make it to Wednesday this week. <laughs> you know, we can't look at it that way. We need a word from God for our soul. We need to be revived. We need to be refreshed. We need to be restored. Ongoing. Hopefully you're getting that not just on Sundays, but through the week as well. I mean, if, if, if I asked how many people here just eat one day a week, one meal a day? Just once a week. 
I don't think anybody would put their hands up. I don't think you could, could sustain yourself that, that long. Now, some of us would probably uh, sustain longer than others, right? We would, it probably might be good for us to, 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 to go on a fast like that because we'd lose the weight we're supposed to lose. But we don't just eat once a week. Think about it. I mean, oh, I'm so hungry. You know, you sit down and eat all this food. Oh, I'm not going to eat till next week. You never think even doing that. It always cracks me up, you know, when you have, we have folks over for Thanksgiving or Christmas dinner or whatever, and, you know, basically there's a ton of food, so everybody just pigs out, right? And everybody's full, and they're sitting around talking, and, oh, oh I ate so much, oh, I can't even move, you know, blah, 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 blah. And, and you know, they sit around and talk and you know, dessert, and, all, and they're just, everybody's so full. And then all of a sudden, you know, after about an hour or so, see somebody out in the kitchen, you know, what are you doing? Oh, oh nothing. I, I'm full, you know. Thought I'd get another piece of turkey there, Pastor. You know, it, it's interesting how that works, isn't it? You could be totally stuffing yourself today, and tomorrow, guess what? Your body is going to be hungry again. You can't say, oh, you know, I went out for a steak last night, so I'm not going to eat for five days. That won't go well. See, so hopefully... Your soul, no matter what you are fed on Sunday, hopefully you're fed. I pray you're fed. That's our goal. But by Monday morning, guess what? Your soul is probably hungry again. The one sermon, no matter who preached it, it's not going to sustain you the entire week, just like a regular meal wouldn't sustain you the entire week. So I hope that Sunday gives you direction. I hope it gives you help and gives you greater understanding, clarity. But you need to be in the Word of God continually. So we look at it as fully sufficient to transform human souls. We also believe the Bible is God's Word and is wholly, the second thing there, trustworthy, wholly trustworthy to counsel human minds. Wholly trustworthy. It says in Psalm 19:7, the testimony of the Lord is what? Sure, making wise the simple. It's sure. You know, in our world today where, you, I mean, you can't even, well, you can't watch news anymore because everybody's lying. I mean, uh, you can't listen to any leaders because they're all lying too. I mean, you know, it, nobody's telling the truth anymore. They all have their own agenda, their own angle. So it doesn't matter what channel you turn on, you're going to get a slant. I mean, how refreshing is it to know that there is a source that God has given you that is 100% absolute trustworthy that is true always it will never not be true he's always going to tell you the truth and yet how many times are we feeding our face on facebook or the internet news or news channels or political podcasts or whatever all the the stuff that's just feeding our minds with a bunch of fake lies and then we get angry because they're lying at us, and then we get all twisted out of shape. But we won't spend 10 minutes in something we know is absolutely true and that will refresh us and restore us and revive us. Why do we complain about all this stuff? I mean, do you know what's going to give you comfort in this sick world? It's not going to be Fox News or Newsmax or any of the other ones. It's going to be the Word of God. It's going to be the Word of God. You know what's going to give you strength to keep on going when you don't want to keep on going? It's going to be the Word of God. And yet we continue, as believers, to ignore the source, source that God has given us of pure, unadulterated truth. It doesn't make any sense. Well, he says here the testimony of the Lord. The testimony of the Lord, um, the Word there is, is God's testimony. It's about himself, the testimony about man. He has a testimony about us. He tells us about what that. He tells us about what's going on in the world. If you doubt me, read Romans 1. It's like you're reading the newspaper. And it's God's testimony. And guess what? He says that it's sure. He says it's sure. Sure means reliable. It's, it's immovable. It's certain. It means you can take it to the bank. You know if he says it's going to says it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But he also says there, it makes wise, what? The simple. It makes wise the simple. 
that word in the original language, simple, really has the idea of an open door. That's the idea. And so making wise those who have an open mind. Making wise those who have an, a door that's wide open. Now, I have to say this, it's not always great to have an open mind. There's some people that are very open-minded about everything. And that's not always a good thing. Uh, if you don't have knowledge of what to let into your mind and what to keep out, you're going to get yourself in trouble. Because you're going to be so open-minded, your brains are just going to fall out. I mean, that's what happens, unfortunately, to many of our young people. We send them away to colleges. And they're taught to have an open mind about all this stuff, and they fill their minds with all this garbage, and they come home, and you're, and you're looking at your child like, who are you? <laughs> we didn't raise you this way. Where did you come up with all this stuff? So we have to be, be careful about having an open mind. Because you don't want to just believe every little wind of doctrine, every wave of, of philosophy that, that comes down. If you don't have a filter, a filter of what? A filter of this, of God's truth. This is what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a cleansing. It's, it's a way for us to filter out that which is untrue. When someone says, oh, do you want to go do this? Use God's word as a filter. Well, would this be honoring to Christ if I did this? How would this look to others if I did this? And the word of God tells us, Right? And, and so we have to have that filter. If you don't have something standing at the door when it's wide open, you're going to be in trouble because there's going to be things that come in, into your life that shouldn't be there. Um, but here is that testimony of the Lord, the word of, the, of God, and this is that filter which is to tell us what can be allowed in and what Shouldn't be. And it says that it's sure, it's reliable, it's immovable. It doesn't change. Um, it's, it's not like, oh, today it's, it's okay to, to go get drunk, but tomorrow it's not. I mean, the Word of God is, is very clear about certain things, right? Oh, today it's okay if I uh, sleep with my girlfriend or boyfriend, but tomorrow it's not. No, the Word of God is very clear. And so if you just go by the Word of God, you, you'll understand what God wants from you. Now, the, 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 the problem here. Even though it's sure, it's reliable, it's immovable, it's absolutely certain, unfortunately in our world today, we have a lot of educated people who basically are absolute fools. Uh, there's people that believe if they have degrees, some people have so many degrees, after their, after their name or on their wall, um, you know, they look like a thermometer. You know, there's just, it's crazy. It doesn't mean anything, but they're, they're just going degree, 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 because it makes me look educated. It makes me look smart. There's a lot of smart people who are not wise. Wisdom is what? Wisdom is the ability to really take the knowledge and the instruction that you have received and apply it to your life. That's what wisdom is. We don't need more smart people. We need people who are wise. Okay? And, and it's not just about being smart. Um, and so, wisdom comes where? From God. Right? God has spoken to us through his word. And so when we apply God's word, his knowledge of circumstances, of situations to our lives then all of a sudden we have the ability that we use the wisdom and we, we transport that truth into our life and then all of a sudden we, we can make healthy decisions. We can make decisions that honor Christ. Um, and you know, many of us can share testimonies of how before we came to the Lord, our lives were a mess, complete mess. And when the Lord came in and we started applying the principles of God's word and he transformed us, all of a sudden, wow, I can actually make a good decision. I can make a, a wise decision. Why? Because you're, it's coming from God's word. It's not coming from you. It's coming from the Lord. And that's what he's talking about here. Having that 
that filter, that gauge in your mind so that when you open it and when you close it and when you open it and you close it, it makes simple people wise because they have the wisdom to know how to use it. In Psalm 119, verses 98 to 100, and then 104 and 130, he says this. He says, you through your commandments make me wiser than my enemies. Psalm 119, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers. Your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. The entrance of your words give light. It gives understanding to the simple. Okay, what's the psalmist saying? He's saying, look, just apply it. Just, just take the word of God, the truth that God has given us, and apply it to our lives. 2 Timothy 3.15, uh, Paul there tells Timothy, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Some parents say, well, why don't we start teaching our children? I would say when they're in the womb. <laughs> Read the scripture to them when they're in the womb. Why, why not get a head start on it? Uh, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. It's amazing that you can begin to teach and to help your child understand the Word of God, even though they don't even get what's going on around them. <laughs> because God will hide it in their heart. And he says, even from infancy you've known the Holy Scripture. Now, other books give you knowledge, do they not? I mean, we, we all read other books. But the Bible gives you what? It gives you wisdom. It's not wrong to read other books. I'm not saying that. But it's wrong to read other books, what? In place of the Bible. <laughs> so we need to have our priorities straight. And the third thing here, we believe the Bible is God's word and is, third thing says, inherently perfect to encourage human hearts. The statutes or the precepts of the Lord are true, he says, rejoicing the heart. That word true or right, some translations say, it means it's straight, it's proper, it's accurate. It's like a, a, a square or a level. It's, 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 it's correct. Uh, statutes basically talks of principles, doctrines. And when they're taught to us, they are absolutely true. They're wholeheartedly right, uh, comprehensively correct. And that word means, literally means straight edge. When you put a straight edge down, then you, you measure everything off that. It's, it's really the standard in which everything else is marked true. So what does it do? When you're, when you're reading something that you know is right, that comes from the heart of God, that is the standard of perfection. He says what? It, it rejoices the heart. It gives joy to the heart. It's something that you, you just are drawn to. You love it. It, it does something good for your soul. Your soul affirms it. It says, this is good. I'm reading this. This makes sense. That's what your soul is craving. In, Saul, in Jeremiah 15, 18, the, the prophet says, Your words were found and I ate them, and your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Or Psalm 119, verse 50, This is my comfort and my affliction. Your word has given me life. Or 1 John 1, 4 in the New Testament, In these things we write to you, John says, that what? Your joy may be full. Your joy may be full. It's all right there. It's all, it's all in the Bible. And you say, well, well what, what part of the Bible should I read? Yes, you should. You should read the whole thing. Read the Bible. Because what happens when you get to the end of it, when you're, when you're, when you're reading through the Word of God, um, you'll start over and you'll start reading it again. And you're going to see things that you didn't see the first time. And over and over and over it goes. Because it's going to take your entire life. It always blows my mind when I, I hear people, you know, I'll ask the question, well, do you have a Bible? And they'll say, oh, I've read the Bible. Like, oh, I've read it. It's like, really? Yeah, yeah, I read, I read it one time. Oh. 
I mean, I can just say, I've been studying this book for hours and hours and hours every week for many years, 30 years. And there's parts of it I still don't get. And I'm a little slow, but I, I, I don't get it. And there are parts that, you know, I, I can't say, oh, I got that down. You know, I, I, we, I've read that book. Um, it's a supernatural book. It's alive. It's, it's active. And what happens, really, is when, when you read the Bible, look at it this way. You don't read it. It reads you. That's really what, what it does. And so you're, you're always in flux in your life. So there's going to be verses that you're going to read this year, and maybe next year it's going to mean completely different something different to you. You're going to be able to apply it differently. And so we believe that it's in and of itself perfect to encourage us in our Christian walk. Fourthly, it's spiritually illuminated to guide human lives. He says in verse 8, the commandment of the Lord is what? Pure, enlightening the eyes. That word pure literally means bright. It means radiant. It's like going out and staring at the sun. Something that's clear. It's not off in the corner hidden somewhere. You know, sometimes you, know, you hear people say, oh, oh, the Bible, that's, that's a nice book. <laughs> I can tell right away they haven't read it. No, this is bright. This is piercing. This is radiant. And it says it enlightens our eyes. It gives us clarity. It's understanding, direction. Because he has given us his Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit illuminates the Word of God for us. It enlightens it to us. It gives clarity and understanding. It gives direction. Even the psalmist in Psalm 119, uh, verse 105, he says, Your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Just think of that. That little phrase, a lamp to my feet. You know, if, if you're walking down a path and you want to see that you're not going to step in a hole, you'll probably turn the light on and go like this, right? But it also says it's a what? It is a, 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 a light to my path. Do you ever drive on a dark road somewhere and you have your lights off and you realize, whoa, I can't see anything, and you turn your lights off? And then sometimes that's not even enough, right? You've got to turn on your high beams because maybe you're coming up on a corner and you want to see. That's kind of what this is. It's, it's, the Word of God is just so comprehensive. It's like those commercials with those uh, military flashlights, you know, the little ones, and they turn them on and it's like, wow! You know, I don't know if they actually work that way, but it's amazing the amount of, of lumens they put out. Um, Psalm 119, verse 133 says, Direct my footsteps according to your word. Let no sin rule over me. See, well, how are you going to keep sin from ruling over you? You have to have the Word of God direct your footsteps. How's the Word of God able to direct your footsteps? You have to be reading it. You have to be studying it. You have to be in it. And we know what 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for uh, training in righteousness so that the man of God may be completely, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You know, I don't know about you, but I don't like to be ill-equipped for something. You know, if I start a project and i got to run to Home Depot every 10 minutes, that's very irritating. You know, I'd rather make a list, go once, have everything, all the tools I need, all the whatever, nails, screws, whatever, and then I can put the thing together, whatever it might be. And that's, the Word of God is that comprehensive. It's, it's a one-stop shop, really. Um, so why should you be consistently, regularly reading the Bible? Well, I think, first of all, because you're in the darkness all by yourself, if you're not. You're literally in the darkness all by yourself. And when you have the illumination of Scripture, and you have God right there, kind of... Uh, showing you the path to go, highlighting your steps, your understanding of what he's saying, this is where you go, this is what you do, this is the direction. This is, it's going to give you confidence in your spiritual walk. He gives you hope. And he gives you really delight in it. And so 
It's also eternally able to inspire human worship. He says there in verse 9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. Clean, it means flawless, uh, untainted, undefiled. And it's able to inspire human worship. You know, sometimes, I just, it's, it's interesting when people, sometimes they'll come to church and you can tell they're not ready to worship. They come in here Sunday morning, they're half asleep, they probably haven't opened their Bible all week, and they're just praying that maybe the sermon will, you know, tickle their liver or something, or, or they'll sing their favorite song. And for maybe five minutes, they'll feel emotionally pleased and be able to uh, see the pastor at the door. Oh, wonderful service! <laughs> I said, Really? See, we, we, we boil this idea of worship down to music and sermons. That's what we think worship is. And that's not what worship is. That's not what worship is. But we've made that the focus of our worship time. Um, these are tools. There's nothing wrong with music, songs. There's nothing wrong with sermons, clearly. And these are just tools to highlight the center of our, our true meaning for worship, and that is what? It's God. All those things are meant to point you to God. If they're not pointing you to God, something's wrong. But we've made music and songs, uh, drama, media, whatever, uh, the focus, and we think that's what worship is. And you hear it. You know, just ask somebody. If you don't believe me, ask somebody Sunday. Why do you, how, how was worship? Oh, that message was great. That's where they land. Oh, I love that song. I mean, that's the two things. You never hear anybody say, oh, man, the offering was incredible. I was able to give. You never hear that. Or the prayer time. Oh, it was a marvelous. You never hear that. We boil it down to sermons and songs. That's the center of our worship. It shouldn't be, but it is. Those are just tools that highlight the, the, the one that we are there to worship, the one that we are there to love, who is God. God is to be the center of our worship. Um, now the problem is many of us are not ready to worship God when we get here, and you know why? Because we haven't spent any time with God in his word. We just haven't. We haven't read the Bible all week long. You know, you cannot be ready to meet God without being in his word and giving him the opportunity to tell you about himself. That's what happens when you read the word of God. But if you're really motivated and that week you get in the word of God and you begin to realize some of the things that he's telling you about himself and how loving he is and how he's how saving he is and the work he's doing in your life and, and how powerful he is and how awesome he is and how majestic he is. And you do that all before you get here on Sunday morning. Guess what? You're going to come on Sunday morning with a whole different attitude. You're not going to be able to wait to worship. And it's not going to be about the song. You're not going to care what songs they sing. You're not going to even care really probably what the pastor says. You're just going, man, I'm here and God is good. And I want to serve him, and I want to be his child, and I want to be obedient. You can't hold it in, because you've been worshiping all week long. And then it's just an extension, what we get to do together. It's very incredible. And some people say, well, you know, you don't know, man, I'm really busy, and I just don't have time to read the Bible. Or they'll say this, or when I read the Bible, I just don't understand it. That's why I don't read the Bible, because I don't understand it. I don't think those are valid excuses, frankly. I really don't. Because I guarantee you, if you came up to me and used one of those excuses, and I said, you know what? This next week, if you'll read your Bible every day for 15 minutes, I'll give you 500 bucks. Every time you do it. You think you'd read your Bible? for 15 minutes every day? I think you probably would. Why? Because you have motivation. Money in your pocket. I mean, you think maybe you'd find the time to do that? 
yeah, I mean, what? That's, that's $2,000 an hour. I mean, think about it. That's a lot of money. You would be motivated to read your Bible. Now, you know, I'm not trying to make light of it, but, but think about it. That's, that's very, very true. See, it's not about being too busy. It's not about not understanding. What is it about? It's about priority, and it's about motivation. It's about priority. It's about motivation. Money motivates us. It reprioritizes our time. But you know what? We wouldn't do it if we weren't getting paid even though the infinite God could tell us priceless truths that could give us an incredible take on life and help us in, in, increase our life amazingly. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom in Psalm 111. Psalm 12 says, verse 6, the words of the Lord are pure words like silver tried in a furnace, purified seven times. So you can't be ready to meet with God, if to worship God without being in his word. So go before the Lord when you leave here and say, you know what, Lord, yeah, maybe it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 15 minutes, maybe it's half hour, whatever, but I'm going to be committed to trying to spend time with you. And I guarantee you he will honor that. Last thing here, divinely qualified. We believe the Bible is God's word and that it's divinely qualified um, to judge human reality. We need this today. He says, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. The idea here is that these precepts, the rules of the Lord, they're, they're true. In other words, they're never false. God never says something that's not truth. He's the standard for truth. And you know what? You may be reading things on the page that you don't understand. Well, join the crowd. I read stuff in the Bible all the time I don't understand. And sometimes I don't have the time to research it, so it's like, I'll look at that next time. Okay? But I know that if I'm spending time in God's Word, He's going to honor that. Um, He's going to reward me for that. Do you know who makes perfect judgments every single time? Never makes a mistake. It's God Himself. Rules, judgments, the judgments of the Lord are true, they're righteous altogether. He makes those things, and it's, it's always, he always has the last word. He's always the, the, the right verdict. He never makes a mistake. But when we read the word of God, you know what he does? He begins to tell you about you <laughs> through his word. He gives you insight about you. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 4, verse 12 and 13, it says, For the word of God, we've mentioned this already, is living, is active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning thoughts and the intentions of the heart. This is what the word of God does. It, it, it helps us look at our own hearts and realize, wow, okay, what is my motivation here? Was my intention right? Verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So he begins to speak to us through his word. He begins to convict us through his word, clarify his truth through his word, and it's able to do that supernaturally because it's a supernatural book. You know, when we look in the mirror, we don't just, you know, the hair's all messed up, or if you don't have any hair, then I guess you don't have that problem, but whatever. You don't just walk away, you fix it. So sometimes it's uncomfortable for people to read the Word because they need a lot of fixing. That's okay. That's the only place that will fix you. And so God uncovers things in our lives through His Word, and He wants us to... Spend time with him in the word of God. So it's fully sufficient to transform human souls, wholly trustworthy to counsel human minds, inherently perfect in it to encourage human hearts, spiritually illuminated to guide human lives, 
eternally able to inspire human worship and divinely qualified to judge human reality. Word, the word of God is, is not something that we should be taking for granted. And I thank, I know I'm preaching to the choir because you're here, obviously. But think of those who aren't. Pray for them. Pray that God would put a desire in their hearts that they would desire more, more of the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And Lord, we do pray that you would give us all a, a healthy desire, a craving really, to study your word on our own, not just to come to Bible study, but to really study it out. I know the men meet regularly and the women meet regularly for Bible study. And uh, Lord, that's so encouraging to know that people are hungry for your word. And Father, we pray that we wouldn't um, grow weary in that process. Lord, that we would desire it even more. And Father, we pray for those in our congregation who are lethargic in their, their study habits and in their, even their attendance. And Lord, we pray that you would um, show them that they need refreshed, revived and restored. And, and Lord, that you would do that work in their heart as only you can. And Lord, we thank you for us gathering together tonight. And Lord, we uh, uh, pray that you would just bless our fellowship as we uh, talk to one another afterwards. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.